Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for who you are, for what you've done in our hearts and lives. And God, we do thank you for these men and women in our armed forces who have paid the ultimate price all the way back to the Revolutionary War and all the other uh, struggles, Father, that we have had in this country. Uh, We're here breathing free air because uh, some of these folks are not breathing in this world again. And so, Lord, we thank you for their lives, and we don't want to cheapen their sacrifice by trivializing the service. Thank you, O God, for these young men and women who have given up uh, uh, their, their lives so that we can experience the freedoms that we have. Pray that you fill us with a sense of holy gratitude, Father. Now, Lord, speak to our hearts today. Help us, O God, as we talk about how to encourage others. Um, Lord, uh, we pray that you will just breathe fresh wind into all of our hearts and lives and uh, lift sagging shoulders. Give us perspective, we pray. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Began last week this brief series of messages entitled Wind in My Sails. It's, a, it's about encouragement. Encouragement. Uh, last week, we talked about what is encouragement and why is it important. Uh, the legendary Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, used to famously say that if, and I quoted this last week, that if a person is breathing, they need encouragement. All of us need encouragement, every last one of us. And, uh, uh, you know, stuff happens in life. I mean, just go to the doctor, bad doctor's report, uh, dreams are not uh, met, you've anticipated this thing to happen, it didn't happen, Uh, spouse makes bad choices and decisions, children make bad choices and decisions, things don't work out in your life. Just pull from the menu of a hundred or more things that could happen. And so we, 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 we get struck with disappointment. All of us are there, every last one of us. There's not a person breathing that has not gone through the valley. Uh, And that's the reason why, as I said last week, it's a terribly arrogant, idiotic thing uh, to ever live your life with the assumption that you can guarantee your future. You kidding me? Are you serious? Nobody can do that. You can't guarantee how things are going to work. As I mentioned last week, we're all one text message away, one voicemail away, one email away. And so we live in an environment where things are unpredictable. And every last one of us, we get discouraged. So the question is not whether or not we're going to be discouraged. The question is, what do we do with all of that? How do we stay and get above the hope line? What do we do when when, when, when we're down and people around us are, are, are battling and struggling to make it. You know, I come in here on Sunday mornings and I can almost just read the body language. Uh, some of us are, you, you can tell, shoulders are slumped, distracted, have a hard time looking people in the eye. Been a long time since you smiled and meant it. There's pain all around us. People are struggling to, to try, try to make, make their emotional ends meet, so to speak. And, you know, there's a special place in all of our hearts for, for those who have encouraged us. I mean, I, I tend to do things, this sounds crazy, but I, I tend to do things for friends of mine um, 
who invite me to speak in this kind of thing. I, I try to be strategic about my, the use of my time, but sometimes I'm not that strategic because I'll get a call from someone who encouraged me during a dark time. And my default mode is to say yes as a tribute to them. I just did that last weekend. I flew up to Philadelphia, Dr. Willie Richardson, who, uh, when I was uh, 19 years old and in college and had vision for ministry and stuff, um, not only did he listen to me, he was there to encourage me. And he's up in age and still pastoring. And so when he asked me to do stuff, I, the answer is yes. Why? Because he blessed me along the journey. He poured into my heart and life. And we all have people like that. And so they mean something to us. They're valuable to us because they intersected us and intercepted us at a, at a low, point, low point in our life. Now, the deal is this. We need to make people a priority. We need to make people a priority. We're here to make a difference in other people's lives. And so we have to be careful that we don't procrastinate helping other people. And let's face it, I've struggled with this for a good part of my life. A good part of my life, I have not left enough space in my life for people that I didn't plan to minister to or whatever to just intercept me and to be a blessing to them. We can get so task-oriented, so driven by what we want to do. We fill up our calendars and our list of things to do and this kind of thing that unfortunately the hurting people around us we don't hardly have time to be a blessing to them. And instead, we, we're, we're shepherding the tasks in our lives. We're so busy wanting to accomplish what's out in front of me that we actually, we actually forget that the most valuable commodity, if I might use that and put that in quotes, the most valuable commodity that we have is people. People in their hearts and their condition and where are they? And it sounds strange as a pastor, but I can get into this whole task thing where you, 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 start, you start being more excited about what you want to do for people than the people for whom you're doing it. And it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And so encouraging others is an investment also in our own encouragement. It's the law of sowing and reaping. I have found this to be true myself. That, uh, you know, when you, when you give of yourself to bless someone else, it always comes back to you. Uh, what is it? Ecclesiastes 11.1 says, cast your bread on the water, and after many days it will return to you. It will return to you. The Apostle Paul famously said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, and often when I'm writing a note to someone who's going through a hard time or there's loss in their life, I will cite this text. Because we give comfort because we ourselves have been comforted. God meets us at our place, our place of need, our place of need. Now, we need to make the most of these opportunities to encourage one another. We really do. We really do. We need to make the most of these opportunities, and God gives us opportunities to breathe air fresh wind into the hearts and lives of other people. I want to share this with you. Uh, when I first came here to the church, now I had been involved in planting a couple of churches, but in terms of being the senior pastor, Tony Evans and I for several years co-pastored Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, but in terms of being the senior pastor of a church, I had not been that. I'd always been a churchman and a bit of a preacher. 
So when I came here to fellowship, I talked to a number of my friends across the country who pastored larger churches, and all of them, it was amazing, all of them said the same thing to me. They said this to me. They said, Crawford, uh, I'm going to tell you, in any established church that's been around for a while, it'll take you, predictably, three to five years for you to become the pastor of the church. And, uh, and what they said is, well, you know, people, they'll let you be their preacher. They'll let you even be their leader, but you have to become their pastor. And I thought to myself, uh, you know, I have fairly good relational skills there, and I sort of blew that off. But actually, you know, they were right. They were right. Not that you know, the church wasn't welcoming, very welcoming, but they were, they were actually right. That it takes time to become the pastor. Why? I tell you why. Because the people need to feel that you're prioritizing them. And I can tell you the day when I felt like I was a pastor here at Fellowship Bible Church. I, I can tell you the day. It was about, it was, wasn't five years, it was about three and a half years into it. I was pulling on the campus here, and the thought hit me. You know, I love these people more than I love what I want to do for them. That's exactly the feeling that grabbed me. Well, all that to say is this. We've got to be very careful. If we're, if we're going to encourage others, others we call ourselves Christian, we have, to, we have to make sure that we're prioritizing individuals, prioritizing people, pouring ourselves into them, blessing them. If for no other reason, it's going to be our turn one day. And so we need to shepherd, shepherd their souls. Now, when we come across people or across the paths with those folks who are discouraged, we sometimes find ourselves asking the question, how can I lift their spirits? How can I put wind in their sails? We've all been there. We see someone that's hurting. You just feel it. You get that email and there's the articulation of struggle and pain. You go, oh boy, man, they're really belief to hope line. What, 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 do you, what do you do? How do you help that person? How do you encourage them? How do you come alongside? And what I want to share with you today is, look, you, you don't need to have a PhD or a master's degree or even an undergrad degree and counseling to encourage people. It's not that difficult. But we do need to keep our mind on several things here. And actually, there are six, there are six suggestions I want to make to you today, but uh, one of our staff in, in, in our worship planning committee meeting said, Crawford, you know, a list of six, you might want to make them into three or two. Well, I, and I said, yeah, you're right. I'll put them in two categories, but there's still six, three, and three. So... <laughs> I'll put them in these two categories. I think that there are two gifts, two gifts that we need to give to people who need to be encouraged. Folks who are beneath or threatening to be beneath the whole line, two gifts that we need to give them. One is, and I'll explain this in a second, we need to give them the gift of you, the gift of us, the gift of me. The second thing that we need to do, and I alluded to this last week, but I want to drill down more deeply into it, we need to give them the gift of hope. You need to give them the gift of you, 
And secondly, we need to give them the gift of hope. Now, what do I mean by give them the gift of you? Well, there, 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 there are three avenues of encouragement underneath this banner of the gift of you. When someone is down, they're struggling, you hear about it, you're in their presence, what are you going to do? Well, the very first thing that we need to do, and here you have it, we need to pray. Pray for them. The very first place to begin with encouraging someone is to pray for them. Hear me, hear me. We have trivialized prayer. We've trivialized it. It's almost as if we say, well, I'm praying for you. I want to tell you the most important and significant thing that you could ever do for anyone is to pray for them. Pray for them. It's interesting, and look at this on the screen. I, I, I'm going to be giving a bunch of texts, so I'm, we decided to put them on the screen. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 19, at least the first part of verse 19 says, Pray, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and then these opening four words of verse 19, and also for me. Also for me. Now, let me just say a word about the context here. You say, well, how's that got to do with the encouragement? Isn't it Ephesians 6 about the, the spiritual armor? You're absolutely right. It's talking about spiritual warfare. It's talking about being attacked by the enemy. And he's talking about wearing the armor. And it's interesting what he says, the thing that is, is the foundation of all of these things, whether it's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate, the right to the shoe shop, the preparation of the gospel, peace, sword of the spirit, all of this stuff, the foundation for all of that, the foundation for all of that says pray. Pray at all times. And then Paul says, hey, look, I'm not immune to discouragement. I'm not immune to the attack of the wicked one. And pray for me. Pray for me. Listen to me, listen to me, church. The greatest thing you can do for anybody is to pray for them. Because when you pray, you're asking God to send heaven's resources to them and in their situation and circumstances. That's exactly what you're doing. And so we need to seek God on behalf of people. Ultimately, I'm going to talk about this in a few minutes, but ultimately, we're not the source of anybody's encouragement. God is. We're the vehicle for it. We're the pathway for it. And so the greatest thing I can do to anyone, I don't know what to say to them, I don't know how to respond to them, but I can pray. I can pray. And I say this, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, the greatest gift that anybody could ever give Crawford Loritz is the gift of prayer. I was uh, in Philadelphia last weekend and at this conference, and after I spoke, this woman came up to me. And she said, uh, Dr. Loritz, you don't, you don't know me, but I need to tell you a story. She said, I, I heard you speak about 25 years ago. And uh, she said, when I heard you speak, the Lord spoke to my heart. But then the Lord also told me that I'm to pray for you and your family regularly. And I just need you to know, and I want to encourage you, for the last 25 years, 
Listen to what she said. Every Thursday, I pray for you and your wife and your children. And I just teared up. I thought, I didn't, I didn't never said two words to this lady. And here this woman is giving me the gift of prayer. I got to tell you, I, this sounds corny, but it's true. There are times in which I have felt the prayers of God's people. I've literally felt them. I, I've been in my car and going through stuff, some, some st tough stuff, and, and, and I'm thinking out loud, I, I'm saying, I ought to be rattled by this, but I, I'm not. And I think somebody's praying for me. Give people the gift of prayer. Don't trivialize prayer. Don't treat it as something, well, yeah, okay, we're praying for you. Now, what else are you going to really do? No, no, the work of life is prayer. The work of change is prayer. And so the greatest thing that we can give to anyone who's struggling and going through a hard time is a call upon God to bring heaven's resources to bear on their set of circumstances where they are and how, how they, they are hurting. The second thing underneath this banner of, of giving them you is, well, be with them. Someone is hurting, be with them. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, uh, Paul is wrapping up this, this brief letter, and he starts giving his bullet points of instruction. And he says in verse 14, he says, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And, I, you know, all of this stuff, although it doesn't say it in the text here, all of this stuff really presupposes proximity. Proximity. Be with them. Be with them. You, you, you don't have to say a whole, awful lot, but it's the power of your presence. Someone's hurting. Someone's going through a hard time. Someone's gotten some terrible news. There's been a loss in their life. Show up for them. Be there. Be there for them. And people need the strong support that our presence can give them. And, and through our presence, they, they need to feel the reality of our Savior's promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. And by being with them, we, we, we allow Jesus to love them through us. Your presence. You know, just, don't, 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 don't be compelled to necessarily give a speech. I'm going to say something about that in a second. But the thing to do is to be with people physically, to be with them emotionally, to be with them expressively. Uh, to even, and I know we got to be careful about this, but even a touch, hand on the shoulder, on a hand, letting them know that you're with them, that you're there. You may not know what to say, but they need to feel that you love them, that you care about them. Now, you, you need to stay in touch with them as well. When you know someone is hurting, and maybe it's a distance or whatever, you can't be with them always, 
but stay in touch with them. Stay in touch with them until they, until they get through this dark patch. Stay in touch with them. That you're not going you're not, you're not, you're not to bail on them. You're not going to do some perfunctory duty. Okay, I sent the card. I, may, I sent the text. Okay, I'm on to the next thing. I'm going to check that off my list. No, try, try to engage with them. Try to be there with them. Try to be with them, there with them over the long haul. Yeah. Let them know that they are not alone. Let them know that you are, they are not a burden to you. Now, you're not an albatross. I don't know about you, but there's been some people in my life, I remember many, many years ago going through a tough time talking to someone that I thought could be of help. And uh, I'm talking to this dude, the homeboy was so preoccupied, I said, okay, and I just said, oh, fine, and I just left the meeting. When people are hurting, resist the temptation of treating them like a burden, or treating this like a duty, or treating them like this is something I need to check off. Be with them emotionally. Even if you don't have a lot of time, you say, you know, I, I really don't have a whole lot of time, but I want to hear your heart, and I want to be here for you. Engage which is the third thing we need to do under this whole banner of being, uh, of, 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 of giving them you. We pray for them. Uh, we are with them. But number three, we listen to them. We listen to them. Um, listening communicates value. You know, a lot of us, and yours truly, I've had to learn how to be a good listener, and I'm not so sure that I'm there yet. But learn how to listen to people. Uh, resist the temptation of putting your sermon together. Uh, resist the temptation of putting a speech together. Listen to what Proverbs, look at what Proverbs chapter 10 verse 9 says, 19 says. Yeah. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You know, you, you start talking so much, you're going to talk yourself into saying something really dumb. And don't, don't feel compelled to give a speech. Don't feel compelled to give some, some, some uh, uh, purient insight. Uh, don't feel compelled to do that. You don't have to do that. The pressure's not on you to do that. But to listen. To listen. Um... um you know, you, you end up saying some dumb stuff. Let me share this with you. When our daughter died, um, she died about an hour and a half, almost two hours after birth. And we were living in the Philadelphia area at the time. Uh, the baby came two weeks early. I was in Dallas, Texas, and it was, this was horrible. I mean, I got the news while I was there, and here's my wife, and I'm feeling all these issues. So I get to the hospital there and uh there's my wife and she's obviously weeping and saying you know the lord's taking our baby and there was a pastor that we knew that came into the room this is how you don't encourage people okay he said to me the first words he said to me first words he said to me was you know, I discern that this isn't God's judgment on you. Now, that's the definition of idiot right there. 
Uh, looking back, he probably did not mean any harm, although, full disclosure, I felt like knocking him out. Here's my wife here weeping. My daughter's dead. And you're going to give me some stupid insight about this isn't God's judgment. Seriously? He didn't mean that. He was trying to, you know, but sometimes the better part of wisdom is if you don't know what to say, you don't have to say anything. Don't, don't feel compelled to say, just listen, listen to them. It, it would have been more important for him to put his arm around me and say, saying, Crawford, I know this is awful. This sucks, man. And so it is with us. But as Christians, especially those of us who have been believers for a long time, we feel as if we've got to have some packaged scriptures together and outline and some biblical action points, and we want to double You don't have to do that. Not then. I'm going to say some things a little bit later here. But listen to them. Let them tell you where they are. Let them tell you what are the burdens on their hearts. Listen to them so that when it becomes God's time for you to speak, you're speaking from an informed place. Listen to them. And, what do you, and let, me give you, let, me, let me give you four ways of listening, what I, what I mean by this. Uh, number one, be patient as you listen. What they say and not how you are going to respond to what they say is most important. Resist the temptation of listening in such a way where you are actually putting together your response. You have to do it. Relieve yourself of that. Be patient with them. Uh, uh, Secondly, focus on them, meaning don't be distracted. Focus on them. This is not about you. It's about where they are. And then thirdly, uh, assure them that you can be trusted. Assure them that you can be trusted. And then fourthly, uh, you know, by the trusted piece, we're talking about being a safe place and that uh, you're not going to judge them. Now, you might have some insights later on, and perhaps they've made some mistakes, and you might have to address that later on. But you you need to assure them that you are safe. Assure them that uh, you can be trusted. And then fourthly, it's not always necessary, and I've said this, to share your opinions or advice. It's not always necessary, especially the first go-around. It's not always necessary to share your opinion or your advice. And uh, we need to be very careful that uh, when we do give an insight, don't always come across as if you're speaking for the Lord. You don't know that. So be careful about sharing your opinions or your advice. We listen to them. So the very first thing that we do is that we give them the gift of ourselves. See, the gospel is incarnational. Jesus is living in us. And we want God to love them through us. We want him to lift their burdens through us. We are his hands and we are his feet. 
And so, what are we going to do? We're going to pray for them. Pray with them. We're going to be present with them like Jesus would be. And we're going to listen to them. But that's, that's not the end of it. That's, that, all of that is empathy. Empathy is not necessarily encouragement. To sympathize with somebody does not necessarily mean that you, you've encouraged them. It's part of it. It's necessary. But empathy is not necessarily encouragement. Encouragement, the very word, as I said last week, means to inspire courage. It hints at inspiring movement. It means to infuse courage in a person. So the second thing that we do, number one, is that we give them ourselves, but number two, we give them hope. We give them hope. Now this is where you're, 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 you're moving toward movement. You're giving them hope. You're not just listening to them. That's important. You prayed for them. That's very important. You were there with them. That's very important. But they still can be in the funk. They still can be down low. They still can be, you know, encased in disappointment. What, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How do you encourage them? How do you put courage into them? How, what do you do? Well, I think the very first thing is that you resource them. You've listened to them. You've prayed with them. You've been with them. Now you resource them. I'm not going to put this, this passage up on the screen because it's too long. I want you to go home, and, but I'll summarize the story. Exodus chapter 18. <laughs> In Exodus 18, uh, well, what was, what the context here is that Moses had just, uh, you know, uh, delivered, uh, God's used them, delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. They've been through the Red Sea experience, all of this other kind of stuff. There's 2.5 million Israelites that Moses is responsible for. So his father-in-law comes to him, Jethro. They're out there in the wilderness, and Jethro comes there to check on it, check on his son-in-law, see how things are going, and Moses gives him, a, you know, an update version of what's been happening and this kind of thing. And so the next day, um, Jethro is observing what Moses is doing. And in so many words, Jethro says, this is nuts. This is crazy. You know what Moses was doing? Moses was listening one by one to all of the complaints and all of the issues and all the problems that needed to be solved by all of these people. And it's almost as if Jethro said, Mo, man, look, man, you, you ain't going to make it, brother. You're going to be dead in 72 hours if you keep doing this nonsense. You talk about discouragement and, and what have you. So he gives them a plan. He resources his son-in-law. He gives them a plan to deal with the issue, and to stay in courage. This is how you can do this thing here. We need to come alongside of people, listen to their hearts. We pray for them. We're with them. And then as we go back and we think through it, uh, the Lord may give us some ideas as to how they can take some baby steps out of this, how we can resource them. I got an email last week from someone who heard the first message and uh, describing a, a, a very painful, awful situation. But the good news is that, you know, I, I knew some people that could help. So you resource people. 
You don't, you don't just weep with them. That's a wonderful thing to weep with them. You don't just hold their hands. That's a good thing to do that. But the whole idea of encouraging people is to get them above the hope line. And how do you do that? Well, you resource them. What can you do? What can you do to help them? And often, it's, 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 it may not even be directly related to the specific cause of the discouragement, but maybe it's, it's, it's some little practical thing that you can do. Maybe it's just little, little windows that you can give them to relieve them of the stress or the pressure of the problem. But do what you can to help them to get above the hope line. Resource them. Resource them. The second thing that we need to do, and I don't put this secondly because of its uh, priority, this is the primary thing we need to do, and that is that we need to point them to the Lord. Point them to the Lord. Now, don't, don't hear me when I said earlier on, be careful about putting your speech together or giving them a bunch of Bible verses, this kind of thing, up front. Uh, because I think when, when, when you're entering in someone's pain, you need to hear their pain, and they need to feel your love and your presence. But that is not to say that you don't give them the Word of God. In fact, you don't encourage anybody if you don't point them to the Lord. The help that you give them is only temporary, and I would suggest to you could, could even be, it could even be ultimately devastating to them if it's not anchored in the truth of God's Word. We help nobody long-term. Honestly, we do not help anybody long-term when we go around acting as if we're the source of their encouragement. We're not the source of their encouragement. I'm not the source of my wife's encouragement. I'm not the source of my children's encouragement. I'm not the source of my grandchildren's encouragement. Their source of encouragement is the Lord. It's the Lord. And so we've got to help people to go vertical. We have to help people to understand that, that, that there's one who is perfect, there's one who is constant, there's one who cares perfectly for them. God's Word has never failed. And we've got to get them to the place where they don't just hear that intellectually, but they believe that viscerally. They embrace that in their hearts. That's the reason why I love the benedictions in Scripture. That's the purpose of all the benedictions in the Bible. The benedictions has a twofold purpose. One is benedictions are commissioning, but at the same time, benedictions are sources of words of encouragement. So often after, after you're dealing with these hard problems and Paul's letters and Peter's letters, James, all these great benedictions at the end of these great letters, what do they do? They lift your sights vertically. See, this is where your hope is. This is where your strength comes from. Look at this great benediction, for example, in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. The writer of Hebrews wrapping up this letter says, Now the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
You see what he's doing? You see what he's doing? He's taking their hand, and he's lifting their hand up, and he's putting it into the hand of Almighty God. And that's what we do when we encourage people. All of this other stuff of uh, praying for them and uh, being with them and listening to them is grabbing the hand. But you just don't hold a hand. You just don't hold a hand. What you do is you just take that hand and you lift it up and give them the ability to put it, put, 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 put it in God's hand. Put it in his hand. Why? Because you want them, you want their testimony to be how God met them in their lowest moment. How is it that David could say, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread? I'll tell you how he could say that. Because he was brought, brought to the brink of begging bread. He was brought to the brink of feeling as if he was forsaken. 16 years from running, running from Saul, all that stuff. How could he say that? He could say that because he saw God use his word to help him to get to where he needed to be. Our children, our adult children now, you know, we, we have our ton of discouragement and things that happen. They go through their seasons of life and this kind of thing. They go through their pressures and problems and all of that. But one of the things Karen and I have learned, we're there to listen to them. We're there to pray for them. We're there, you know, all of that stuff. But you know what I do? I'm not the source in their life. God is. So when they go through these patches, we try to find passages of Scripture that relate to their circumstance. So at the end of it, when they're encouraged, they don't say, hey, look at mom and dad. No, they say, look at God. So that's what we want to do. Keep that in mind. Ladies and gentlemen, just keep that in mind. This is the difference between those of us who are decidedly Christian. Because all of life, God is using every circumstance, every situation, every disappointment, every discouragement in life to help us to look more like Jesus. He's, he's using all these things in life so that the beauty of his word comes shining through. And so we help them. We help them by pointing them, pointing to them to the Lord. Give them God's, give them God's, God's word. And then thirdly, under this banner of, of giving them hope, oh man, we resource them. We, we point them to the Lord. But then thirdly, keep this in mind. We help them to move. We help them to move. Uh, I know that this is counterintuitive. Um, what we want to do is to help them to do what they can. You, you, when, when, when someone is discouraged or disappointed, um, sometimes you need to intervene. And for a brief moment... You may even need to be almost like a surrogate will for them, but you don't want to stay in that place. You don't want to stay in that place. 
their will to act needs to be strengthened. The whole point of encouragement is movement. The way you get out of a bad situation is not sitting there and constantly analyzing the badness of your problem and why you got there and what these people have done to me and how come this stuff always happens to me and this is terrible and all this other kind of stuff. Encouragement means that you're moving. You got to take movement. You have to do something. I know this is counter to what some of you have heard in school or whatever, but, but, but analysis is not solution. There are people who have struggled with uh, depression for years because they, they thought that insight would solve their situation. Insight is important, but verbs, verbs lead to deliverance. Verbs lead to deliverance. It is movement. It is action. Now, there's, there's this incredible text in Exodus chapter 14, verse 15. You all know it, but let me, let me, uh, let me set this up before I quote the verse. So what's happening here in Exodus 14, the children of Israel have been uh, released from bondage, and, you know, I can, I can imagine it's just really amazing. They've seen all these great miracles, plagues, and this kind of thing, God's deliverance, 2.5 million Israelites. Finally, they're leaving the land of bondage, going toward the promised land. It is hip, hip, hooray, wonderful. Ah, but then they get to the Red Sea. And the Egyptians change their mind. They're coming to kill every last one of them. You got this massive army be behind you, and you got this Red Sea in front of you. Hooch your mama. And all of a sudden, now not all of a sudden, I'd have been part of the group too, say, hey, hey man, hey, hold, hold, hold up, man. Moses, you ain't heard from God. How can you say you heard from God, man? We, you know, they're coming to kill us. I can swim, but I can't swim that far. So what, what's the option here? They're going to kill us or we're going to drown? Pick your poison, brother. No, we, we, we gotta, if, we, if we're going to die, we're going we gotta to die back home. We're going to die back where we're used to. Why do you bring us out here? So they start complaining. But then Moses says, oh, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. But it, it's almost like, and as leaders, I've been there. Sometimes you're trying to give somebody courage that you don't have yourself. And Moses is probably shaking, and his, you know, staff just said, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. <laughs> and then listen to what God says to him. I mean, this is like almost cold-blooded what he says. You talk about God being insensitive? This is terrible. And listen, parenthetically, let me tell you something. I look on over my life, sometimes the most passionate thing a person will ever say to you is the very thing that's hurting your feelings. Write that down. Sometimes the most compassionate thing and the most helpful thing that somebody will ever say to you is the thing that you do not want to hear. Listen to what God says to Moses. Look at it, verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, <laughs> why do you cry to me? Why are you praying? Why are you praying? Why are you crying to me? 
In other words, stop praying. What am I supposed to do? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Uh, there's water. Tell them to go forward. Stop trying to handle my business. In other words, do what you can and let the miracles, that's my department. That's my department. You do what you can. And some of us are not moving because we don't see a way out. Did you hear what I just said? Some of us are permanently discouraged because we don't see a way way out. And I don't mean to blame the victim here, but God is saying is you don't need to see a way out. I didn't ask you to see a way out. I told you to do what you can. Might be even small, but what can you do? What can you do? Are you just going to sit here and be overwhelmed by, in your mind, what is inevitable? By the way, God defines inevitability. God defines inevitability. Sometimes we're too rational for our own good. It's so... What God was saying to the children of Israel is that I'm trying to use your discouragement to be a powerful mile marker for your encouragement. I got one amen out here. (laughs) You hear me? I'm I'm speaking. I'm I'm speaking as a pastor right now. I'm not telling you stuff that I ain't been through. You understand me? I'm not telling you, so many times I've come to this church on Sunday mornings with tears streaming down my cheeks out here in this parking lot because of what my family was facing, what I had to go through, burdens that I could not share with a lot of people, and God said, just put one foot ahead of another. And you don't quit. You do what you can. And you help no one by so overly identifying with the pain that they have that you don't encourage them to do what they can. You help no one. So, God tells the children of Israel, Moses, to move. Wow. Wow. They had not moved, we would not have that story of God. <laughs> Miracle. And I wonder how many miracle stories are stopped because we deified our discouragement. There's sometimes in your life, let me just say this, there's just sometimes in your life, you just have to plow through how bad you feel. I, 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 it's, that's just life. That's, that's just life. You got to get up, shower, shave, get in that car, Go to that place that's sucking the air out of you. 
and let God sustain you. That's what you have to do. And there are times in which we just have to come alongside of people who are down. Walk with them, whisper in your ear. Okay, man, what can you do? What can you do today? How, how can you take another step today? You can't solve the whole problem, but can you, can you start walking here? Can you start at least dressing this? Can you, can you, can you step into this over here? Okay, can you, can, you, can you step into this over here? And you look back and you go, look at God. It's amazing. Now, let me just say this as I land the plane. To encourage someone does not mean to control them, by the way. There's some of us, you gotta be, some of us who have high control personalities, we are fixers, we're problem solvers, and we're very dominating personalities. You've got to be careful of that. Be careful of, 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 of hyper-controlling people who are down. Some of us are caretakers by nature, and we smother people in the name of compassion. You've got to be careful. You've got to back away from that, back away from those tendencies. Always keep the, 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 always keep the verbs on their side of the fence. Help them to act on them, but don't control their lives. Help them to do what they can do. And somehow, we, sometimes we just have to do what we don't want to do in order to experience the freedom that we long for. And that's movement. So, two things in wrapping this up. Just two things. Uh, the whole message, hopefully, has been somewhat practical, so I'll, I've given you a list of things to do. But uh, one thing I want to say for all of us here, look for those who are discouraged. Keep your eyes open. Ask God to give you peripheral vision to spot people who are hurting. Look for them. They're all around you. And the second thing I would say is that, and I, I try to do this just about every morning, is to pray that God will use you to encourage someone to be a blessing. And by the way, by the way, one of the things I, I try, I'm getting better at this, when someone comes to your heart and mind, make the call. Call them. Hey, man, I'm in between meetings here, but you're, you're on my heart and mind today. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Are you burdened for somebody? Send a little text. Uh, man, I, I, I was just reading this passage of Scripture this morning, and buddy, I, I just thought about you. I hope it blesses you today. Sometimes it just doesn't take much. But let's learn how to be responsive to the Spirit of God and the needs around us. Let's ask God, and I'm, I'm culprit number one at this, that when, when life interrupts you, when need interrupts you, rather than getting ticked off with it about it, consider this might be a divine importance appointment love on people love well we have Stephen ministers here and, uh, and so many of us are doing this in the body we have small groups of people who needs to be met that I don't even know about you know the great thing about our church is I'll hear about somebody's in the hospital or whatever 
And uh, more often than not, before we can talk to the care ministry or, or pastor on call or somebody, their small group's already been over there and this kind of thing, which is absolutely wonderful. But we need to continue that. Amen? And stand together. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I was going to tell you that sin is a permanent discouragement. It is a permanent burden. But it doesn't have to be. Jesus invites us to come. He's paid for our sin. And all we have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin. And I trust you as my Savior and as my Lord. I want to encourage you to do that today. The other thing I want to say, too, as I get ready to close here, I'm going to read this benediction over us that I just referred to. But if you are discouraged today, your heart is heavy about certain things. I don't want you to U-turn out of here. You see, pride is the lock on prison doors. And uh, I'm going to have, ask the Stephen ministers who are in this service, staff members who are in this service, uh, elders who are in this service to be up front. And if your heart is heavy, you're carrying a load, you're carrying something, don't carry that by yourself. You don't have to carry that by yourself. Let somebody put their arm around you, just pray for you. And perhaps the pathway to your encouragement, by the way, might be a little humility. The acknowledgement, no, I gotta stop pretending that I'm stronger than I really am. I've had to do that. I've gotta stop pretending that I got it all together. Ain't none of us got it all together. We need each other. Receive this benediction as God's blessing on our hearts. Now, May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Blessings.